Hi, and welcome to the podcast today. We have a long episode. A second visit with my very good new friend, Stuart James, the executive director of the Ability Center, uh, a place and a person I've gotten very close to since Stuart's arrival about a year or so ago. That's a very worldly story. Um, loved reading about it, wanted to interview him, and now we have a bromance. Uh, our guest, basically we set up a podcast. I didn't set this up. Some friends at the Ability Center said, Let's ha- can you have a discussion about, about disability? Hell yeah. Uh, come to find out the, the person that was woven into that, along with Stuart, was a gentleman named Brad Hertig. I know, I know that name. I know that name. Uh, I, uh, I took a visit with my friend Jen Wakefield from the Lucas County Suicide Prevention Coalition a couple of summers ago. I think we got invited to be a part of something at BG. Um, I think. I think it was at, at BGSU. Kind of a, a summer camp, for a, a brief summer camp for kids. Like a week-long experience. They get to do some arts and some experiences, blah, blah, blah. And Brad was one of the speakers. It's... I, I, I had no idea what I was in for. I'm going to give you the super short version. Then I want you to look into Brad's story um, after you hear our conversation. In a horrific factory incident, Brad lost most of both of his arms. Super inspiring, super empowering, very entertaining, very funny, very joyful when I got to watch him speak. Um, I hope some of that comes through on today's podcast. Um, the... Visit was set up because I forget who at the, it might have been Stuart's brainchild. Um, Stuart wanted to have a conversation. Stuart was someone born with a disability. Brad, um, it was an acquired, not by choice, uh, disability. And Stuart like this says that with my bipolar struggles, and by the way, I am in a hell of a funk right now. Um, I don't know why. I really don't know why. Maybe a little bit because the EMDR didn't work as I had hoped and I put some eggs into that basket. But Stuart likes to say that I have an invisible disability. And I, as challenging and as fierce as an opponent as my brain can be every day, I think I might rather have to contend with this than some of the other disabilities that I could be afflicted with. I think you're really going to enjoy this discussion. I got to do a little, uh, hopefully you can manage through some of the, the technicalities. Well, there were some some little feedback. I think it'll be listenable enough. And then we wrap up with Brad and then Stuart and I just have our, our bromance discussion and go all over the place. Some sports. He didn't know I did sports talk. Um, some great restaurants. Some, th- some restaurants. He, I've gotten him to fall in love with Mama Mary's. Uh, his vision for a new podcast with the Ability Center. His vision for the, the Ability Center and think differently. So a lot of great discussion. Um, I posted this for a couple of seconds last night on, and I didn't have time. I I just let this go yesterday during the podcast, but it it was out there over the weekend. I posted it briefly on Facebook, didn't get any engagement, and I wanted to go to bed, and I didn't want to leave up something with strong opinions while I was asleep and have it turn into a forest fire. Um, And I also wanted to have another night to sleep on it. So the Tampa Bay Rays, and you might not know this, um, for a long time, since 2008, for a good seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, I was a Tampa Bay Rays fan. Yeah, a Tampa Bay Rays fan. Why? Because of some dumb fantasy baseball reason. And I like the way the organization made decisions and found inefficiencies and took advantage of those inefficiencies to make up for the fact that they couldn't buy players. When players got really good and too expensive, they had to trade them away, and they still stayed good. You might not know this, but the Tampa Bay Rays are probably, over the last 15 years, one of the five most successful teams in Major League Baseball, as far as wins would be over that time period. Um, They held a pride night, and there was, there was a, a pride pride patch on the uniform, but five Rays pitchers opted out. Now, this is not surprising. There are some backwards views, some views from decades ago that proliferate sports just because we watch them in certain ways doesn't mean it's progressive and cutting edge and they're all going to we're all going to be on the same side of the social or political spectrum. Five race pitchers opted out. Jason Adam, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, Ryan Thompson peeled off the logo and wore the team's standard cap. <sighs> 
Um, Adam told uh, a Tampa Bay Times writer they respected the team's decision to show its support of the LGBTQ plus community. They opted out for religious reasons. Now, look, I said a lot of dumb, short-sighted things. I thought a lot of things. I said a lot of things when I was in my 20s. I do hold athletes and celebrities to a higher standard, even though they're in their 20s. They know that everything they say and do is often out there for public consumption. They have had teammates or friends get caught up in poorly timed or poorly said tweets or quotes. So they need to be aware that everything they say can come under a fiery microscope. I see some hypocrisy here. Um, But let me at least say, am I being intolerant of their views, which I don't agree with? Okay. A lot of it comes, and this is from Jason Adam, a lot of it comes down to faith, to like a faith-based decision. So it's it's a hard decision because ultimately we all said we want we all said what we want is them to know that all are welcome and loved here. That seems hypocritical if you are against their lifestyle, which again they did not choose. And maybe at this point in time, since this is kind of like three days old, but it is picking up a little bit of steam, um, Jason Adam and his teammates will reword this better. Um, maybe they will use different words other than saying all are welcome and loved here. If that were the case, why not wear the patch? Uh, but he continued, when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided that it's just a lifestyle that maybe, and lifestyle, that's a very clunky word here. Nobody deci- Nobody made this decision. You didn't decide who you wanted to be attracted to or intimate with. I certainly didn't. When we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided that it's just a lifestyle that maybe not that they look down on anybody or think differently. You're at least thinking differently. Uh, It's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus. I assure you by wearing that patch, you you are not encouraging anyone to be attracted to anyone at all. Again, young and dumb. Um, so let me wrap this back around. When we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided that it's just a lifestyle that maybe, not that they look down on anybody or think differently, it's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus, who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior, just like Jesus encourages me as a heterosexual male to abstain from sex outside of the confines of marriage. I don't know if he or these players do this. Um, I don't know the specific words of Jesus, but I know there is a common counter to this type of common feeling and that's his Jesus didn't hate anybody and maybe that's off maybe maybe there was something in in some biblical words where Jesus was against same-sex intimacy um there have been some people who have spoken out about this all over the place and again I just find it hypocritical I find their words hypocritical and I've already pointed that out and again maybe they will retract those words or use different ones to better convey how they feel um let's get into a really good discussion here uh, a discussion about disability uh Brad Hertig h-u-r-t-i-g my good friend Stuart James from the ability center I thank them for visiting here today you're the genius at this I have no doubt that you know you know, it's it's like when you're an umpire. If you believe in the call, it's right. Brad, we might wind up going down a sports path here because we're all sports heads. I got it. Yeah, I think he gave me a little warning about that. Um, let us let me get us started. Um, thanks for the time for everybody. Uh, my friend Stuart James, the new-ish executive director of the Ability Center, and I finally get a little. It's not one-on-one; it's two-on-one with a guy that I got to watch speak a couple of years ago and was absolutely inspirational. Brag Hertig. I did pronounce the last name right, right? Yes, you did. Hertig. Uh, Hertig. Um, you have an incredible story. I wish we had time here on the podcast to share it, but I will direct people to where to find it. Um, do you have uh, a tweet-length version of of what brought you to where you are? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, basically I was an athlete and had an industrial accident, a work-related accident while I was in high school. 
and that changed my world, flipped it upside down, kind of searching to figure out who I was, but I ultimately was able to come back, play sports again, and specifically in football, I led my team with 111 tackles my senior year as a middle linebacker, and ended up being first team all Ohio, first team all state, and from there I was going to school and was an engineer for a period of time, but ultimately I always had this kind of uh, back in my mind wondering if I should be sharing my story in a broader sense and I met a guy that traveled the country full-time a handful of years ago and met him on the road and he coached me up on some different techniques and now I am a motivational youth speaker uh, speaking at schools and not just youth but also companies from a safety standpoint and that's what I do full-time now. Um, I remember your story quite powerfully from a couple of years ago. And um, one thing that jumped out at me and as I was reviewing the ESPN.com story, the little Wayne Drez did on you. I hope I pronounced that last name right. Um, your your coach, and it's a it's a wonderful story. I encourage everybody to go read it, to watch it. And and you, you might have glossed, we might have buried the lead there, but you lost your arms from like your elbows down, right? With the factory incident? It, I did, yeah. So just uh, right at the wrist on my left and a few inches, about four inches left on my right arm, just below the elbow. Um, it was it was stunning because I wasn't expecting that when I watched you speak. And I remember you getting back to the point where you had gotten back onto the football field and your, your coach basically said, if you want the water bottle, you got to get it your damn self, right? Yeah, so it was very <laughs> stunning. Like, I, so prior to that, this is my first day out there, by the way. Like literally, I my arms are bandaged up. I have open wounds. I lost 25 pounds. I was really weak. I was just watching my friends to get out of the house. And I would walk up to our football trainers, ask them for a drink of water, because obviously I couldn't do it for myself. And so they were very kind, they just did it naturally. And we did that throughout the practice, and end of the practice, I see a water bottle sitting at my football coach's feet. I was thirsty, I point the water bottle out to him, thinking he's going to pick it up, like the trainers had been doing. Instead, he looks at the water bottle, looks up at me, looks back down at the water bottle, he thinks for a moment, and then he says something that would ultimately change my life. He says, you are thirsty enough, you will find a way. And I'm like totally shocked, stunned, thinking like, jerk, why don't you pick up the water? I don't have hands, right? But he, you know, for myself, I actually kind of stepped back from that moment and realized what he was actually trying to do. He wasn't being a jerk, he wasn't a jerk guy. He was actually trying to call something out of me that I didn't see in myself. And when I kind of come to realize what he was doing, trying to pull this greaterness out, greatness out of me, I said, okay, hey, I can do this. So I literally dropped down my knees, picked the water bottle up between my elbows and try to like reposition it to get to my mouth and pull the cap, squeeze the water and toss it back down to his feet with a big grin like, what's up now? Yeah. <laughs> Coach. So yeah, we're, it, was, uh, it was something. We're here to talk about, to have a, a general disability conversation. Um, Stuart, your, to, re, to refresh, your, the, the, the issue that you were born with, what, what is it again? I was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, so I've had my disability my whole life. I don't really know anything except my disability. I did acquire a second disability when I was about 40, and then I lost my hearing. So that was a different experience. And so, um, you know, that time I actually lost something. I love music. Difficult for me to hear music now. Um, so I can relate to some of what Brad went through. Um, certainly not to that extent. Um, but, um, you know, there are two very different relationships with the word disability. Uh, and let me dive right into that. And I, I think I'm hitting you both with this kind of uppercut, but these are the questions that we do on the podcast. Brad, with what you have overcome, accomplished, how you live your daily life. And I'm Stuart, I'm going to ask you this question as well. Does the word disability, Brad, still apply to you? That's a good question. That's a great question. I personally don't think of it that way. I don't think of myself as being disabled. But in a technical sense, I would say that, yes, I am disabled. Uh, there, are, there are things that I'm limited in, and it's not necessarily what you'd look at and say what's quote-unquote normal, what, whatever that is. Uh, but, but the way I live my life, no, I, I, don't, think of, I don't think of it as a disability. I, I live a full life, and I have a quality life. So, yeah. Stuart, um, 
you are extremely successful. Um, if someone just listened to the, the discussion we had the first time you came in here or they read your story about what you've done all over the world in China with the Rangers and Hollywood, people might not not put the vision of you with who you are together. Do you do you view yourself with a disability, Stuart? No, I mean, I think if you were to tell my story and not see me, if we were doing it on the radio, you might be surprised at the end of the day what I look like. Um, you know, I guess Brad is right in the technical sense, the word disability does apply to me, but I've never seen it that way. I mean, I think there are certainly plenty of people who have who would be recognized as not having a disability that can't reach the top shelf at a supermarket. Yeah. Um, so the limitations are, you know, I see better than most, I um, so I think it's all sort of relative. Um, and then there are, there are certainly plenty of people who have invisible disabilities with a different kind of limitation about whether they can be in a noisy environment or, um, you know, these kinds of things, stressful situations. So I think it's all kind of relative. Relative, very subjective, uh, what we're able to, to build within ourselves. And, and Brad, it, it seemed like your coach was the tipping point or the inflection point for you. Um, I am, I'm a mental health advocate. Um, I, I deal with bipolar too. Stuart likes to say that he tries to convince me that I have an invisible disability. Uh, while I have this cloud of depression hanging over me a little bit, I can, I can see that. It's semantics or verbal gymnastics to me, but I got to, I got to press through. Can you walk me through the mental health aspect of, uh, your accident and, uh, and where you are now? Yeah. So for me, a lot of my identity, so again, this happened in high school. So I was younger, still trying to understand who I was. And when this accident happened, a lot of my identity was found in sports. I was an athlete from the youngest age before I even started school. I was involved in athletics and that's the thing I did well and was known for. And so when my ability to play sports was taken away from me, that was huge on my mental health. And it was a huge struggle, a huge battle, because that's, that's who I was. And I felt like I now lost who I was. And there's so much uncertainty with that. And, and it was, as you already kind of mentioned, um, Eric, about this sense of like a cloud or, or maybe a darkness where you really can't see beyond the immediate future and you're just you're, you're you don't know what's going on you're you're kind of on this in a boat like you're getting tossed one way to the another with your emotions and and it's a mind game because because you just feel like you don't know who you are anymore and that was a huge hurdle to come to a place where i feel like i accept my accident and who I am as a new normal. And this is something that has taken a lot of time to, to really come to terms with that. And in, I mean, just in different forms, uh, but one, just the physical form. Uh, I was pretty strong before the accident. There's been a lot of muscle atrophy and I, I worked out a lot and it takes a lot to keep up with it. But after high school, I don't work out as much or in the way that I did when I was trying to prepare to, to play and can compete. Uh, but, but nonetheless, that is another sense of this is who I am and just slowly being eroded away and having that, that battle of who am I and, and understanding who am I and, and being secure with myself. Uh, it took a lot of time. I remember wanting to wear long sleeves after the accident to cover my arms up because people would stare and they still do today. Uh, and, and I try, even that is a battle, right? I'm trying to understand, like they are staring out of curiosity, not as in a shameful look or to put me down. And so there's, there's a lot of mental gymnastics that I'm, I'm dealing with and reminding. It really comes down to a self-positive talk that I have a positive loop going through my mind and trying to bounce off these negative things that can come up and prop up into my mind. And so, yeah, I've been at that for you know, actually, this is interesting. I'm, I'm coming up on a 20-year anniversary. June 10th here of this week uh, is uh, going to be my anniversary of the accident, and it's it's crazy to think that uh, it's been nearly 20 years now. But yeah, so I've been at it for a while, and it's just a battle that everyone faces. I think, in not just a disability realm, but in all in all aspects. Yeah. 
Stuart, um, you talked about losing your hearing, um, something that you were you were not born with, like the osteo imperfecta. How did you deal with the mental health issues, um, the sadness, the depression, the challenges that came with losing your hearing? Yeah, you know, I don't know that I struggled with it all that much, largely because I just keep myself super busy and um, try to put it out of the back of my head. Um, but so I don't know that I struggled with depression that much. I guess here and there, I think, wow, well, I'd like to hear that piece of music. More frustration for me, you know. Right. Even the other day, I was listening to Oasis, and I was trying to remember the lyrics to a song, and I suddenly realized I, I can't pick it up anymore, and I, f- I forgot the tune. And so that frustrates me more than depresses me, although I'm not sure. Maybe those two things are interchangeable. What about when you were younger and you were becoming uh, a kid, and you couldn't do different things? You couldn't do things that other kids did. Did that get inside your head, and how did you manage that? You know, I don't think it ever depressed me frustrated me maybe more than anything but um i just because i was born with this disability and i used my wheelchair the whole time i didn't know anything else so it's not like i lost something right yeah maybe kids are playing football and i couldn't play football but there are a lot of kids who can't play football so um i think i just put myself in that boat um i don't think you know i think maybe some of us all wish we could be lebron james or um you know whoever it's not meant to be. It's not in the cards, whether you have a disability or not. I think I just looked at it that way. I figured out, what am I going to do? What I see with both of you guys, um, you gentlemen and Brad, I saw it when, when, I, when you, uh, you did that great, that great talk and presentation, had the kids play games. I think it was at BG. I'm not certain. I can't place it, but it was just wonderful. My jaw was on the floor, and I looked at you, and I saw a guy who had lost his arms in a tragic accident and I listened to the story but what I also saw was this is that we all I also do a lot of nerdy comic book stuff and you know there's there's the daredevil story of he lost of he lost his vision but all the other senses were magnified and what I saw within you and look I know everybody has dark days and I'm sure you have them as well but I, I saw a guy who who had technically a disability but you had a, like a super powered attitude and a supercharged mind to see the best in the situation Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, you, you almost have to, right? Like it, it's, I mean, if you don't, you are going to decline and go into a spiral and it can lead to a really dark place. And, you know, I've seen that happen to other people or an accident or bad news, something would happen in their life and they would turn to different things that trying to self-medicate unhealthy things and, and it would just ruin their life. And I, I, yeah, so I'd seen that type of example before, and I knew that there was a better way. And I knew it also started with my mindset. You're really just focusing on the positive, focusing on what I can do. Uh, and, and it is, it's so true. What we focus on is what we see most clearly. And, and that's true for both ways. So if you look for the good, you're going to see more good things in your life, no matter how difficult a situation might be. Uh, you'll see more of the positive. On the opposite side, if we spend our energy thinking negatively, all that we don't have, we will see more proof of our own limitations, and we'll always be stuck there. We'll never mature, never grow, never uh, move forward. Stuart? Yeah, no, I was just going to jump in. I had an opportunity to meet Brad a couple of months ago, and we were chatting about whether I could introduce him to some Hollywood folks about his story. And, you know, there's there's a story about what happened with his accident, the whole coming back to play football part of it. Um, And that's interesting, but I don't think that's the real story to me. To me, the real story and what I told him when we met is it's after high school. You know, in high school, you have all these people rooting for you. You're coming back. You're going to play football. Everybody's cheering you on. Rah, 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 rah. You can do this. But when high school's over, then all of a sudden the real world sinks in. You don't have necessarily all those thousands of people supporting you. And now it's like, what do I do with myself? Yeah. Um, And I think that's the real story for Brad is how he overcame that part of the dark space. I mean, he went on to be fairly successful here. He's got a a great wife and his family. All these things that he may not have thought he was going to have, it came. And so, you know, the mindset is a big part of it. How you see yourself, he could have easily spiraled into a dark place and not gotten out of it. And I think that's really where the story is. Brad, when you come across people who might have 
dealt with an accident somewhat similar to yours. Um, tell me about some of your interactions when you meet people like that. When, when I saw you talk to those kids at BG, they were just summer camp kids. They did not have any disabilities or anything. You were just a wonderful story. Um, entertaining, compelling, inspiring, all that. I know I'm raving about you. I'm, I'm fanboying here to you, Brad. What about, I'm sure you come across or you're asked to speak to, to kids or anyone who has gone through something like you've gone through. What's that interaction like for you? Well, the first thing is just empathy. Like, uh, people need to be seen and they need to be heard. I think that's one of the biggest things for, for all people. Uh, they have to be understood where they are in their, in their loss, whatever that is. And oftentimes people go to great lengths to be seen, to be heard, and, and the, sometimes again, it's, it's the negative side of things to get the attention that they need. So, so really, I, I try to approach things with an empathy of understanding, and it, it does help, obviously, with my situation that people can see it. It's not just a hidden, like you're, like you're mentioning, Eric, where it's behind the scenes, you don't always know it, you have to explain it. But mine's very visible very easily, so it's, it's easy to see that, hey, he's dealt with some hard stuff in his life. I, I can relate to him. This is what I'm dealing with. And so it does create a natural conversation for people to relate to me. And without having to use a lot of words to understand that, yeah, I've had some hardships in my life. But then I try to turn that to them and understand their story. Um, so yeah, it, it's similar to one having that the empathy with them and, and trying to see and understand them and their story and where they're at. Uh, and then it's just, it also is similar to what I've already shared here so far, it's just a mindset. It really starts with our mindset and our, the battle there. Uh, and then out of that, there's a couple other aspects. I talk about the, the willingness to adapt because things are just gonna be different. Your, your life is now different because of this loss or the situation. And so how, how can you find something in a, how can you do something in a different way in order to find a way? Uh, my whole theme throughout the school is using the water bottle message that my coach challenged me with. If you are thirsty enough, you can find a way. Yeah. And I, and I share that in a personal level too with the individuals that I, that I talk with. It really comes down to that. If you're thirsty enough, you'll find a way. Something I've preached a lot over the last couple of years as we've gone through this this COVID stuff, um, whether it would be towards kids who were struggling in school or the parents worried about them or kids worried about their parents, just obviously all the uncertainty, the worry, the anxiety, let alone the actual virus itself. Um, something I was fortunate to learn about 10 years or so ago now, um, people are more resilient than they give themselves credit for. And that's, that's not everybody. Um, and I don't like to go with the cliche cliche line of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But there is a lot of truth in that. And I've, I've always tried to remind myself when there's a challenging time, you got through everything else. And I try to go back to how I got through those and flex those muscles again. But would you say that in your interactions with who have you met over the years that people really are more resilient than they give themselves credit for? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I've seen that in my own life, just things coming out of you that wow, I, I didn't really know that had it in me because if you were to tell me my accident was going to happen prior to it happening, I would have thought, I would have been in the corner just crying and wouldn't have a yeah. clue what to do. Like, it'd just be, I wouldn't know. But then, yeah, seeing that, and then also the stories, like you mentioned, individuals. I just met a woman the other day speaking at a company and, and she lost her son just like a few months ago in a house fire. And I, I couldn't believe, I, I thought this was happened like five years ago, the way she was talking about it. She was so strong and it was just impressive. It, not that she's not sad and dealing with a lot of loss there, but just impressive. And she said the same thing. It's like, you know, I never thought I would be this strong through something like this, but I'm stronger than I realized. So for sure, we, we have that within us. And it's sometimes it's not until we get knocked down that we realize that we are stronger than we Stuart, back over to you. I have a question. What's something you wish the the average, and I really appreciate Brad's perspective of understanding, like if I'm staring or gawking, I try not to, but it's not because I'm I'm judging. It's it's just the natural curiosity in me. So Brad, I, I appreciate that 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 the good thought there. Um, not everybody is like that. Some people are, are rude. They can be ignorant and whatever else. Stuart, what's something that you wish the average person um, understood better about people with disabilities? That, you know, there were parents, were employers, employees that were, we have all these other things in our life that should be our identifier. It doesn't necessarily have to be the disability. I mean, you know, I'd rather be known as a husband and a father and a guy that runs the ability center than just the disabled guy that lives down the street. 
Um, so I think that's one of it. I think Brad's right there. You know, people stare, but they're not staring because they're the first shameful thing to try to put you down. They're just super curious. And so if you confront that, if you're able to do that, um, I let people play in my wheelchair all the time um, because then once they play in it for five minutes, they kind of forget about it. In fact, I just have this wonderful story at my daughter's preschool. Um, one of her friends, the teacher, had mentioned that she wanted to speak with me. And so as I was dropping my daughter off from school, I sat down at this little art table. I started coloring with her. And she asked me why I don't walk. So I just said, well, why I use the wheelchair? And I said, well, you know, I don't walk. And she was, okay. But then another kid came over and he's like, is it fun? So I'm like, well, get in. And then, you know, they were playing around for a little bit and then they didn't care about it anymore. And they won't care about it ever again because yeah. they got it out of their system. People don't mean it. They, for the most part, they're genuine. If they're rude, you know, you're a nice book. I'm from New York. I can deal with that too. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm not worried about that. But most of the time, people aren't being rude. They're just being curious. Yeah, it's like if I saw if I saw the hot dog mobile roll down the street. I'm going to stare because that's not something you see all the time. Um, Brad, how about you? What's something you wish people understood a little bit better about those with disabilities? Yeah, I, and I actually have people ask about this. And students ask this question, which I'm so glad that they do. I, I prefer that people just ask the question. You know, just, hey, like, it looks like you have a story. Like, what's your story? And now that takes a little bit of boldness. And so I try to tr approach it where if I see someone that are, seems to be staring or is curious, I'll just say, yeah, you ever seen a prosthetic like this? And just, like, go right into it with them and engage them. And, yeah, they usually are more curious, and I ask more questions and follow up. So, yeah, if there's a place that you can, you know, speak to the individual, I think that's so helpful. Uh, I think people, generally, people with disabilities are willing to talk about and share. Again, not, that's not across the board that everyone is comfortable, and they're, they're, they're still dealing with wherever they are in their emotional journey and security in that. Uh, but I think, generally speaking, uh, people are willing to share and, and, and talk about it. Brad, I am uh, I am almost done. I don't want to take up more of your time. I will take up more of Stuart's time. But how can people track you down, uh, find out more about the story, see whatever content you have out there, so that people can be inspired, they can learn, and find out so much more about you? Yeah, I think probably the best place would just be my name, which is my website, bradhertig.com, and that's H-U-R-T-I-G, bradhertig.com. Awesome. Brad, I appreciate the time. One of these days, instead of me sitting in an audience or sitting, uh, us doing this virtually, you and I will connect face to face and I'll be really excited for the moment. Oh, I would too. You're a great guy. I appreciate you. Thanks, Brad. You take care. You too. Thanks, guys. You're not done. <laughs> um, I, I have stuff for you now, okay? That went fine, Hit right? That went, that went fine, right? That was good, right? Yes, absolutely. No problem. Yes. All right. So, are we like eight? You've been here eight months. Or is, it, is it almost a year in Toledo? Yes. Okay. Um, you were you visited with me? I guess sometime late last fall. You were. It was still kind of newish. I asked you this question when we chatted uh, maybe a month or so ago. I want your your Mark Messier's honest opinion about your time here so far because i asked you point blank do you like it are you going to stay because i don't want to lose another good person in this area so give me your thoughts oh no my wife and i love toledo um seriously and i'm not just saying that because i'm here now but um this is such an underappreciated city and um, people are so warm and welcoming it continues on whether i'm taking my girls to school you know somebody if you go look at my car right now i haven't washed it in a while um, and so I was taking my daughter to the supermarket this weekend and someone wrote love in the back of my windshield who um, mm. had been watching me with my kids. Um, and, you know, so it's all good. Interesting to me, my, you know, my wife was really nervous. She's Chinese and she's from China, so right off the boat, but she speaks perfect English. But she was really worried because in Oakland we dealt with a lot of Asian hate and there's a lot of, it's dangerous. It's not here at all. But she was worried, you know, the Midwest perception is it's a bunch of rednecks and it's going to be really dangerous and maybe it's not going to be so welcoming. Hasn't been the case at all. Um, you know, she got a job. People love her at the company. It's all really great. My kids are doing great. House is nice. I went fishing the other day with my daughters for the first time. We're having a blast. It's Good. awesome. Um, 
God, that, that's that's so very broad. But I still want to ask you about your time here. What have been other? Have you been to a walleye game yet? Uh, a, a walleye game? Yeah, I did. Yeah. What'd you think? I don't think they want me to go back there. They got crushed. Really? Was it a playoff game? No, it was against Fort Wayne early in the season, but they okay. lost like. 8-2 or something. It was ugly. Okay, so here's my take. And I've only been to like a handful of walleye games, but I'm I'm tuned into things. Um, I've been saying that if they win, that they're in the hole right now, 2 nothing. If they win the Kelly Cup, there should be some type of parade. Not like a small celebration at Promenade Park or something like that. You went to the game. They played their fiercest rival. And you, having worked in the NHL, you have friends who are celebrities and athletes. You get it. You've been in these big cities. Tell me this is not a professional-level hockey town. Let me tell you, Joe, that the game I went to at the, the Huntington Center was one of the best sports experiences I've had in a long time. You know, you don't need 20,000 people to make it special. The Huntington Center is great. Um, Joe Napoli does just a great job with both the mud hens and the walleye um, in terms of a fan experience. It's just excellent. Um, the game was, it was really good. And, you know, I, I've, uh, actually, I'm going to take my family to the mud hens game tomorrow. Good. Um, so we're looking forward to that. But I think the walleyes, I wish I didn't go to a playoff game. I wish I did. Um, I've just been a little bit too busy. But. Um, you know, they're drawing, what, 8,600 people? Yep. That's pretty good. Yep. I mean, that's... that. That's probably... I mean, granted, it's going to be a... It's a weekend night. It's a great atmosphere. But I'm going to guess that there are certain NHL... And I meant... Not, they are... The Walleye are a professional league. I meant this is an NHL-level hockey town. I bet there are certain NHL cities, and I can't pick any off the top of my head right now, that the Walleye games have been more electric than those NHL games because of the caliber of fan and the interest in the sport here in Toledo. Yeah, I think there's a nice balance of this electric the electric atmosphere and intimacy. You know, you're fairly close to the ice. Um, the crowd is really into the game. They're yep. knowledgeable fans. I mean, we're only about 40 minutes from Hockey Town, so people know the game. Um, it's excellent. I, I hope they get themselves out of this hole. I hope so as well. Um, I, I I don't know much about Florida or anything. I know there's been officiating issues and whatnot, but yeah, it, it would be great if at least at the, very, at the very least now, if they're going to win it, it will be here in front of the home fans in Game Six or Game Seven. So we we deserve it because they've gotten so close over the last ten years a couple of different times. Let, let's just face it. At, at this point in my life, I'm at least today, I'm anti-Florida on everything. I mean, I got my Rangers mm. and the Bolts. And, uh, you know, we're hanging on. Um, so uh, I'm not a big fan of Florida teams. Um, I, ha- I remember my other question now. Uh, having been near here now almost a year, on a very reasonable, truthful scale, 1 to 10, as we try to make Toledo the most accessible city in the country, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are we? What do we do well? How can we? What can we do better? And I know a lot of this is going to come from you and the Ability Center. Oh, well, we have a lot of work to do. I mean, uh, from a physical accessibility standpoint, you know, we're probably a three. Okay. We're pretty far down the scale, but there's some reasons for that. We'll get over it, but it's going to take some time. I think in terms of changing people's attitude about disability, we're a lot closer to where we want to be. We're probably seven, eight, but we're going to address that part first. I think if we get that right, then the rest follows. But we have to be patient. Um, but we'll get where we want to go. What are some of the things that we're good at as far as accessibility? We can pat our backs, uh, pat ourselves on the backs for with accessibility here. Um, well, you know, I I think that um, I think on a state level, we're about to pass um, a parenting bill um, that looks like it will pass. Uh, this governor will sign it sometime in the fall. Um, which is removing a very antiquated law that said that social services could take my children just from the mere presence of disability awesome. in the home. Yeah, it's like 1954. And it was unanimous in the Senate 
to remove that bill. So I think we're coming around attitude-wise, whether you're on either side of the political spectrum, this is something everybody agreed on. And we're finding that true of a lot of things we're trying to push through the state legislature right now. Um, So I think that's one thing you could pat yourself on the back on. I think a lot of the newer construction, especially what's going on in Glass City and and, and around that area is just excellent. I will say this too, Metro Parks. Metro Parks is first class. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of work with them, but they are so focused on making sure all of their venues are accessible. And that's definitely something that the city should pat themselves in the back on because there's a lot of places, even California, not getting that right. Uh, we were supposed to do um, episode zero of a podcast called 68 Words a couple weeks ago. But uh, one of us got COVID, and that didn't happen. So I don't think it would be inappropriate right now to do a little preview of what's coming in a couple of weeks, July 12th. And after that, can we talk a little bit about Think Different? Yeah, so Think Differently in that podcast, you know, first of all, 68 Words is basically the core of um, Section 504, which is the basis for people with disabilities to have civil rights. So that's how we came up with the name. Um, And the idea of the podcast is, I think people with disabilities who are really doing things, like Brad, who we just spoke to, but there are a lot of people in this community that have disabilities, whether they are physical, mental, sensory, or whatever, are doing really great things, and their stories are not being told. And so we want to put some shine on those stories, a light on them, so that kids understand, you know, I've got something to aim towards. People are doing stuff. And my life isn't going to be Social Security necessarily. I can do things. I can own a business. I can be on radio. I can do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the world is open to them. And, you know, I, I think that's the idea behind them. Um, yeah, it just it just hit me. And I don't know why it, did, it, it wasn't sooner. We're talking about um, uh, local business owners who might have a disability. I remember growing up... Um, there was the hip hop radio station that I listened to back in Philadelphia. Um, do you remember like Hot 97, right? From New York? Okay, so like the Philly version was Power 99. They had a blind DJ. And this was like before YouTube and everything. And I always wanted to know, I forget his name. I got to look him up now, but I always wanted to know how he was able to DJ. Like if you didn't know he was blind, you would think he was just like everybody else. And, and I could, I, I've DJed before. You need to see some things, but I don't know if he was fully blind, partially blind, but they promoted him as being blind, and he was an incredible DJ. He truly made magic with his fingers, and um, it's people like that whose stories we're going to tell on that podcast. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it Def Leppard that had the one-handed drummer? The one-handed I, drummer? I believe so, yes. So yeah. you know that's. There's some really cool people out there that we don't talk about enough. And the disability community is odd in that we don't celebrate people who are successful within the community. I'm not under, I don't really understand why that is, but um, we're going to start to change that. Is it maybe because there is a variety of disabilities? Like yours and Brad's are completely different. Um, so maybe it gets put in boxes and when people are in boxes or silos, they can't work together more cohesively to spread the message. No, I think it's more about collectively how the disability community has gone about trying to make change. And I think they've said, Hey, we want to do these things, but we can't. So you need to help us with stuff. And, then the argument kind of morphed into, hey, look, we're all poor. And so somehow or another, we got into, we need more Social Security. Or we got into, you know, this, people, players don't hire people with disabilities. So we need to do something about that. And all this negative talk. But it had an, an adverse impact on the community because, sure, we're working with legislators. But if you keep telling kids that companies don't hire people with disabilities, they believe it. Right. And so it's almost like manifest destiny, right? You're sort of setting the world up to be exactly what you don't want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we got into a wrong story. Um, what else did I want to run by you? Um, you are a little bit older than me, and we've not had this discussion, but I am trying to ask this question to people who are older than me. I asked my dad. I brought my dad in here for a podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, it feels like the world is on fire. You being a little bit older than me, 
um, you have been through times I have not been through, and and others. Um, is it as bad now than it's than it's ever been in our lifetimes, or is there just more sources out there telling you the bad news? Um, yeah, I mean, I I, should, I do think it's bad right now. Um, I think social media has created some problems, um, and I think. Our political environment right now is difficult because people have lost sense of reality. Um, what color the sky is sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a problem. Um, I think we'll get out of it. I'm optimistic we'll find our way because we always have. And at some point, people will come to their senses and we'll, we'll come to... I mean, I'm really upset, to be honest with you, on this subject, getting off a of disability, but... It really bothers me what happened to Texas with that school shooting yeah. and that we can't come to some sensible solutions. And I'm not saying drastic solutions, but I think we all agree that background checks are required. Yeah. And I don't understand why we can't get that done. It's thorny and it's complicated. There's not just one answer. Um, people on, on both sides make good points and maybe this is why we can never make any ground. Look, I've always said, and I don't think I've ever said this to you, or maybe you've seen one of my tweets, no one should ever legally sell me a gun. But if I'm off my medication, and I, I would never be a danger to anybody else, only to myself, um, I, I I believe the people that say that if they want to find a weapon or something something dangerous, they, they can do that. No matter, even if there is just a, a small background check, look, there we are really crazy about guns in this country and it is probably far too easy in some ways but I do think some of these really broken people will find ways to do awful things because we have so many broken people in society now I just I read something earlier do you ever go to the, the website 538.com it's some sports some politics um I don't you know but I what you were saying earlier I um people do make good side uh, put arguments on both sides of the of the aisle. I actually am a gun owner. I have guns. Um, I had to go through a background check because I bought mine in California. I had to wait 10 days. It wasn't really a big deal because I knew it passed the background check and I didn't need a gun in 10 days so it just didn't bother me. Um, I think if, you know, it was perfectly acceptable to me. I think making guns a little bit more difficult to buy, sure, it's not going to solve the problem, but if it solves at least one time, that's worth it. But we don't know how many one times have already been stopped. Um, kind of like 9-11. We don't know how many 9-11s were stopped before 9-11 happened or afterwards. Because we, we don't want to know that. We would be truly terrified. I always go back to, um, and I've mentioned this before recently on the podcast, Bastille Day in 2016. When that person ran a truck and killed ran a truck through people and killed like 86 people. I wonder, even if we took away all the guns, the people who aim to do harm, and this 538.com article basically said, most of these people are are mentally unwell. And, and I agree with that to a, to a great degree. It is essentially suicide by school shooting. And sadly, school shootings are, they're copycats. And if we took away all the guns... And these people still wanted to do harm. They might find a way. And I don't know how we ever stop that. It's it's like it's very hard to stop a homicide um, because it's such a, a spur of the moment emotional thing. It's not like fire safety or or other things. It's it's really challenging. And trust me, I would I, I have some serious issues with uh, a 250 year old amendment. Um, but I just don't know how we how we stop as much as we would like to. You know, I don't know the answer. I think it's complicated. It's a lot of different things. Um, I think we could certainly do a better job with mental health in this country, at least being more open about it and talking about it and giving people resources to get some help. Um, I think we could do a better job of policing mental health. Um, there's a great um, documentary on HBO, and I won't remember the name of it, but it's about two cops who started a new division at San Antonio. Um, they respond to all mental health issues. They don't wear a badge. They don't have a gun. Um, and they basically talk people down. And it's become very successful. Um, it's a great documentary. I try to remember the name of it. Um, you know, it's a lot of things. You know, 
I'd stick to sports. It's safer. All right. Well, we'll, we'll okay. We'll make a quick <laughs> U-turn. Um, your Rangers are doing very well. Um, tell me another one of your sports stories that we didn't have time to get to during the first podcast. You told me about like the Transformers guy. Um, give me another celebrity or athlete run-in that you can share. Another celebrity athlete or run-in. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe... Um I don't know if I told you about the Nick Carter story. Um, we brought the Backstreet Boys to um, Shanghai to do a concert. And a couple of months before the concert, we had a press conference. So Nick Carter and Harry came to do the press conference. And, you know, we went out to a bar, my assistant and uh, Nick, and we got a little drunk. A lot drunk. <laughs> Nick's, Nick's, Nick's a professional, yes. you know, yeah. drinker. And so he's hard to keep up with. And so we ended up going back to the hotel and it was like 3 a.m. And, you know, the hotel was really large and we were usually using the back entrance. But if you use the back entrance, it's a long walk to get to the elevators. And so the driver was like, you know, which entrance do you want to use? And so we were kind of like, we're all drunk and tired. So we're like, you know, it's 3 a.m. Who's going to be out front? Let's just go to the front. Well, we were wrong. There were like 25, 15-year-old girls sitting there waiting for Nick. And we're like, wow, now what do we do? And so the security guard, um, he's like, I got an idea. And he gets out of the car, and he's talking to these ladies in Chinese, and he's basically trying to make a deal. And he says, look, Nick will sign. Nick's in the car. He'll sign one thing for everybody, and he'll take one group picture. And then you got to leave him alone, though. No hugging, no kissing, no touching, you know, whatever. And so they're all very nice. They all politely agree. I got out of the car, you know, no problem. My assistant Monica gets out of the car, no problem. Nick got out of the car, and it was chaos. <laughs> they lost their minds. Um, and, you know, girls are ripping my shirt. They're pulling my hair. And we get into the we get into the hotel. The security guards stop everybody. We get in the elevator. And Nick's like, you know, man, I'm really sorry about that. I'm like, sorry, that was like the greatest five minutes of my life. Yeah. And, and I'm like was, a rock star for five minutes. That was before social media and all that stuff where people could like hunt you down like that. They, yeah, they yeah, they couldn't. And we had, actually, when we picked those guys up at the airport, we had a contingent of fans chasing us down the street. Um, it was Chinese fans were. They're very passionate. They're really kind of crazy. Like, you know, images of like the Beatles. We had, we brought Arsenal Football Club at one point and Robin Van Persie was coming into the hotel and they had a restaurant that had glass walls facing the lobby. And this girl was pressed up against the glass in sheer tears um, just at the sight of Robin Van Persie. And I'm like, wow, this, this is kind of wacky. <laughs> I, w- I will have to share some of my run-ins with people um, with you one time. They're, they're not like that, but there are some like that that are that I that I, I take with me out of my music radio career. Um, well, we'll wrap up. I, I gave you some pizza places. What other restaurants have you kind of fallen in like or love with? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give free promotion to mom to Mama Mo's. <laughs> yeah. So far, that is my spot. Okay. It's not too far from my house. That's where I go. My wife's got all sorts of wacky ideas about pizza, but I'm like, I'm like militant that we go to Mama Mary's. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they know me when we walk in. I got it all down. They know that they're not to serve my wife pineapple on pizza. That's just sacrilegious. Do you go to the one on airport or the new one on central? I go to the one on airport. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could just stop in there on the way I home. I just live right down that street. Um, by the quarries or five minutes I'm at Mama Mary's is there a restaurant or a food type you've been looking for that you haven't been able to find that you'd like um you know what you guys don't have here which is it's kind of sad is really good poke 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 is like a bowl it's, it's Hawaiian okay it's very popular in California it's basically like a bowl of sushi and it mm. either comes on lettuce or rice. Okay. There's sauce on it. A lot of a lot of mixes. You typically would go in and they, they basically pick rice for salad 
and then you pick your protein, what type of fish you want, and then you go down and have all sorts of options like Subway that they throw on different sauces, different things. It's amazing. Haven't found a good poke spot. I have never even heard of it here. I've never heard of it, so it's not here, but good to know. Lefties, though, cheesesteak. I, I don't know there. if it's authentic, but it was pretty decent. How many times have you had it so far? I'm going to take you. How many times have you been there? It's going to be my treat. I'm taking Well, I know, but how many times have you gone? Uh, Four or five. Okay. All right. You're in. So they've, got right. some, they've got some wacky like creations that I'm not into, but the straight up cheesesteak. Okay. It seemed to be. I need someone to tell me though if it's legit. It's tasty. I, I don't know if it's legit. All right, I'll I'll make the trip. Um, I'm gonna take you. You didn't come to my. You know, I invited you and your dad come watch basketball. I don't hear from you. What's up with that? Yeah, that happens. You'll figure that out with me. You didn't. You didn't. <laughs> you, didn't you did not have a lot of faith in the 76ers. No, that it, was the problem. No, they. It's a, it was a house of cards. I just think, you know, Harden didn't come through for you. Nope, nope. He is. This was my fear. Everybody that doesn't want to hear this, you can tune out now. Thanks for being here. Think Differently is coming up. 68 words as well. I have seen it. Um, Daryl Morey, he was chasing his white whale. And unfortunately, his white whale turned out to be James Harden 2022, not James Harden 2018. So that dynamic, unstoppable score doesn't exist anymore. Who's going to win the playoffs for the basketball? I don't know. I, I To be honest, I haven't watched. I like the storyline of Steph getting another one. And I know that there have pe- been people who doubted the fact that the Warriors are a dynasty. But to win another one, this is one of the three greatest dynasties ever. To win another one, Steph Curry's got to be in the conversation for one of the best players of all time. He'll have four, which is the same as LeBron. He did it with and without Kevin Durant. They probably could have got two more if Clay Thompson stays healthy. And Durant and stays healthy. When Durant, Durant Durant ripped up his leg too. I mean, so yes. they uh, when Draymond kicked LeBron or whoever that was and got suspended. I yep. mean, they arguably could have had six pretty easily. They could have, and that puts them in, you know, Jordan category. A thousand percent. So I'd like to see them win win a fourth. You know what else? Curry has single-handedly changed the game um, to three-point shooting as a mainstay of the base of an offense. Do you remember in, in the 80s, and it was probably the mid-90s, um, as we inched into like the Iverson era and the sports center dunks of the Knights took over. And I used to hear people going, they can't make any jump shots. And they, they could, they, they really couldn't. It was Patrick Ewing back to the basket post moves or one-on-one isolations, Iverson stuff. And then as we got to the Steph era, people realized that nobody was guarding jump shots. So it became efficient to take these shots. And as you see, it's simple math. Step out a little bit further. One shot is worth 50% more than a shot three three feet in. So it was math and brilliance. He did change the game. I mean, you have um, Steph Curry is the all-time leading three-point shooter all-time in the playoffs. You know who number two is? Clay Thompson. So you have two of them on the same team. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think people underestimate the value of Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he talks a lot, and he can be a little bit dirty, but he's very knowledgeable about the game. He knows what he needs to do to be value. He's a great guy at seeing the floor. He understands where people are. Um, he's, you know, he's racking up assists here left and right. Um that team is just so well put together. And what I love about it in an era where people are trying to create these super teams is these guys came up with the Warriors. Um, Jaymond, Curry, and Clay, they've never played in Ross. When I uh, when I was in Detroit doing sports talk radio in 2012, that was like the last year or so of Draymond at Michigan State. And it was typical, you know, whatever it was, 25 and 7, three-seed Michigan State team. But I... Never would have imagined Draymond Green would have turned into what he did from what he was at Michigan State. And that's a testament to Kerr 
and maybe like the crown jewel of everything is they made something out of Andrew Wiggins. Like Andrew Wiggins was gonna flame out of the NBA, and now all of a sudden he is a he is a scoring savant. Granted, other guys can take the pressure off him, but he's a defensive stopper. Like they literally made five star chicken salad out of chicken shit. You know, I think Kerr is a genius at managing personalities and understanding and getting people to understand their role. And then not only accept it, but embrace it. I mean, Wiggins is a great example. That guy was on the verge of being a washout. Yep. Um, and now he's one of the most valuable players on that team. Yep. Um, credit to the way that whole organization runs. I'm actually rooting for him. I can't root for Boston. I didn't. I wasn't a Golden State fan when I lived in Berkeley because I don't like the fans. They're front runners. They don't show up when they're they only show up when they're running. And I don't respect that. Not like Philly fans. We're out there in the freezing cold the year game, and they're like three fifteen or something. Um, you know they're front runners, but you got to admire the Warriors. They're homegrown. They didn't necessarily need Durant. Nope. Um, that's another question. Let's flip that. If if Steph wins another one, what does that mean for Durant's legacy? He's a you know he's a complicated dude. Um, I think he is maybe the best pure scorer at all levels of the court I've ever seen in my life. But he's made questionable decisions, and he needs less burner accounts on Twitter. He should really just stay off social media because he's he is far too thin skinned. He should stop fighting with Charles Barkley and with Kendrick Perkins and. Stephen A., all these people that are criticizing him. You can't win. You know, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm a passionate Knicks fan, so I hate the fact that the Nets are in Brooklyn. I hate the fact that they made a run at winning New York and title before the Knicks. I'm so very happy that it's all sort of collapsing. I'm not a big Kyrie fan. I love him. I, the guy's got an amazing basketball player, but he's not a good team guy no. at all. No. He's a cancer. Yeah. Um, which is why I think the Nets are refusing to give him a long-term deal. I remember it was whatever it was five years or so ago after he got himself out of Cleveland. It was, it was one of those preseason hype events, and he's like, I'm going to have my name up in those rafters. And then like a year later, he wanted out of town. Like, I, I wouldn't trust him. You talk about people not saying the sky is blue. If he said the sky is blue, I wouldn't believe him. I, I saw Durant in an interview not too long ago, and he was saying something to the effect of if Oklahoma and Golden State and the Nets don't all retire his jersey, it's bad for basketball. And I'm thinking, you have no idea what you're talking about. You bailed on Oklahoma City to go to the Warriors to win a title. The Warriors did not need you. They're proving it. Yep. Now you're at the Nets, and you haven't gotten it done. Um, you haven't maybe had all the help you need, but you certainly had two cogs. Um, you haven't gotten it done. Uh, to go backwards for one second, I, I don't complain about like water under the bridge or like... You should have done this. You should have picked that player. Like, so Pistons fans, if you bring up Donovan Mitchell, they lose their minds because whatever draft that was, um, the Pistons picked right before them and they took Luke Kennard. So forget about the 10 teams before them that also didn't take Donovan Mitchell. But there's there's one thing that, that I'm surprised more Philadelphia fans, there's two things actually, I'm surprised they don't get more upset about. They traded with Boston and took Markel Fultz. Boston sat back and took Jason Tatum. Also, Ime Udoka was an assistant for Brett Brown a couple years ago. Imagine what the Sixers would have been like. Now, granted, they needed Doc there for the veteran presence and whatnot, but they could have had Jason Tatum with Ben Simmons, with Joel Embiid, and Ime Udoka could have been their head coach. They'd be winning titles. Yep. You know? I mean, that's it's the same that the Knicks passed on Donovan Mitchell, too. Yeah, and so, yeah. Um, and they're desperate for a point guard. They haven't had a point guard, and I can't remember when they had a point Emmanuel guard. Emmanuel Mude wasn't a point guard. was a good point guard. They have they take all those crappy uh, um, one-two mix guards, and it never works out. Yeah, I mean, I think getting that whole chemistry thing right is, again, that's why you have to give hats off to Golden State. because. And by the way, 
or the one guy that doesn't get enough credit for Golden State is Mark Jackson because he put all those three guys on the team. Mm. Curry inherited him, but Mark Jackson picked those guys. Yeah. Um, and they were doing well under Mark Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that he hasn't been able to get another coaching job because I know he wants one. Yeah. Uh, he's really great on TV. I mean, that that we we are at a, a golden era of broadcasting when it comes to having uh, those guys on TNT and Mike Breen, Mark Jackson, and and Van Gundy. It's it's some great television. I love Mike Breen. He's great. Bang. I, I he was at, he was at the Knicks when I was still at the Rangers. I mean, that's how long he's been around. I love that guy. Last question, then I'll let you go. Maybe who is your very favorite? Sports broadcaster ever. Um, you know, it might be Breen. Um, no, I'm going to tell you it's a team, and it's the Ranger broadcasters who are still there Sam Donaldson and um, JD. Yes. The two guys are just as good as it gets. Um, I'm enjoying them. I'm, I mean, it amazes me that Sam's still calling the game as I watch the Rangers now. And I'm just in love with this Ranger team. I had no expectation from them. They're really young. The kid line is great. I don't know if they're going to get it done, but I'm enjoying it every game. Um, I think they might be running out of gas, but we'll see what happens. Well, they could have still won. For you, I hope they win, but it would be really neat to see Tampa Bay win three straight Stanley Cups. Like, that is another feat in itself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 legacy that legacy brand of Tampa Bay Lightning hockey. It is, you know, I don't know that there's anybody in Tampa Bay I would really root for to have that kind of I mean, you know, there are sometimes players and teams I don't like. Like I don't really like the Celtics, but I'm becoming a big Marcus Smart fan. I think that guy's just got I just like him as a player. Yeah. He's clearly very passionate about the game. He wants to win. Um, he's out there when he's hurt. He's just, um, I really come to like him. Um, so I can appreciate player success. I don't know if I can appreciate teams. Like, I could. I don't think I could bring myself. I love you, but I don't think I could bring myself to for the Eagles. <laughs> Not as a Giants fan. You know. Has there ever been a Has there ever been a Philadelphia athlete you you enjoy? I would be like, I'm so happy for Eric Burkey. Whatever, slow clap and I. <laughs> I was when when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I was happy for my dad, knowing that he'd see one before he died. I will take that back, though. I did root for the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl because they beat the Patriots. Because I couldn't stand the Patriots. It was the better of two evils. Right, right, right. And I right. appreciate it. And I do have such respect for Philly fans. I really wanted the Philly fans to get one. And we got it. We got it finally. All right, good visit. Let's wrap it up. We're done.